Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. I'm kicking it off Teacher Appreciation Week, which starts May 2nd. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators, they're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them. And they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Vinny Wagiani with us. And Vinny is out of England, and really neat, uh, we met through a Facebook group um, centered around a book that we're reading called Energize, um, which is a great book, by the way. And I just really enjoyed meeting in such a way and then jumping on a Zoom call and saying, you know, tell me a little bit about your background. So Vinny is a detective, and he's also a coach and mentor. He has a coaching company called Cardia Coaching and Mentoring. He works with children to build confidence and resilience. Also, we shared lots of ideas how his work could be then brought to the classroom and how teachers themselves can be coaches uh, and to work on some of those other skills that are outside of just curriculum. So I'm so happy to have you on today, Vinny. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was a, a humble uh, introduction. Thank you. <laughs> so my first question for you is what inspired you to get into this work uh, with coaching with kids? So uh, I think it really started when I was probably in my uh, sort of darkest moments in policing, um, where uh, there was a period where I was really, really thinking about leaving policing um for good not because i hated policing in itself uh, but just the external criticism that mm. uh, impacted not only on my mental health but just people i was seeing around me and uh, it was a senior officer that uh, sort of pulled me aside and uh, uh, pushed me to go through some leadership programs and it was through those leadership programs where I began to learn some of the uh, ingredients around leadership, uh, ingredients around how to empower people. Uh, and my previous force um, were looking to incorporate coaches within the policing working mm -hmm. environment. So I was fortunate to get um, uh, trained up and qualified externally uh, through uh, coaching. Uh, and as a result, began to practice that theory within the policing culture uh, just to help people develop and grow within the policing context and I'd always look back uh, with all the sort of uh, successes that I was seeing in front of me as uh, I was coaching uh, police officers police staff uh, within the organization and went if all of these people and myself had these skills when we were younger what would we have turned out to be mm -hmm. uh, in the future? Uh, and that really sort of became the foundation of me um, beginning to read more, learn more, uh, and then understand the sort of children's psychology uh, mm -hmm. of it, uh, which has helped me greatly because when I think like a kid, my uh, creative abilities as a detective sort of get enhanced anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, so I learned... Uh, I learn a lot from uh, the sort of children and young people I coach. So I began to reshape uh, the coaching style I had so that I can sort of translate that to coaching children and young people. The transition was uh, a little bit sticky because kids didn't really understand the concept of coaching. They didn't really know what it was all about. So working with them to sort of find out what they really wanted to do was probably uh, the biggest hurdles and then getting mm. them used to I'm listening and they're doing a lot of talking and I'm asking a little questions um, worked out to be uh, something quite something spectacular I would say. Mm, that's wonderful and I think this message of this is great for just young people to hear that your career path is not just this linear one, you know, size fits all, right? Like you can constantly 
be inspired to go in a new direction, which you did because you wanted to get into this coaching and then it took you into wanting to coach um, children. And I love that because it's so different, right? Like, you know, most people they're like, so you're interviewing someone who's a detective and now they're a student coach, right? Um, what does that look like? But your life could be so many different roles. And I think it's just about these moments that we have where we're truly inspired to want to go into maybe more something that's more meaningful or like we feel like it's more part of our authentic self. So I love that. Uh, what were some of your early like experiences with working with children and your the age group? Is it um, like, I think it was like sixth, seventh grade, like middle school, or is it younger than that? So I've, uh, so I've coached as young as six. Okay. Um, and taken uh, coaching up to as old as 18, you know, transitioning okay. into university. And I do coach university uh, students as well. Um, I guess where it all really started was through my detective work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am a child protection detective. Mm-hmm. So I look at, I've seen the sort of real deprived side of how children mm-hmm. are treated. Uh, and uh, as a result of uh, learning around children and the vulnerabilities uh, that they've experienced uh, and learning how to interview them under serious uh, conditions, um, that ability to talk to children has always grown and always been quite comfortable with. Uh, So helping uh, the children from that sort of uh, social demographic group has always been one of my sort of sources of mm-hmm. fulfillment. Uh, so being able to see children who've probably not got the same kickstart as mm-hmm. many others mm-hmm. um, and going into either a school or going into an individual community group where I can uh, have at least one impact with one child and they can uh, have that sort of domino effect of mm. they've been able to get inspired and do something. So they'll go and do the same. Um, what were some of the like techniques that you use with your, your students? Or I know you even said like some of this was work that you did with your own children and some of like the books that kind of inspired you, but uh, just to kind of get more into like the actual um, like coaching session or what you do with your, your students. Uh, so the sort of context all really started with um, sort of the seven habits of highly effective mm. people uh, written by uh, Stephen Covey senior uh, and uh, I then discovered as I was learning his uh, material that his son had written a book for children mm-hmm. uh, and subsequently written a book for teenagers and the context uh, around each of the habits uh, and the seven habits that uh, are within the book uh, allowed a structure for me to have coaching style conversations with my six-year-old mm. because we were talking the same language but in different levels mm-hmm. um, and being able to talk about habit one from a child's perspective and then she can see habit one from an adult's perspective and then we were sort of cross-pollinating uh, our <laughs> sort of ideas and thoughts uh, and being able to have very good conversations uh, and that grew and unbeknown to me certainly with my uh, six-year-old um, she was at school uh, she there was uh, school council elections and she wrote her own speech she stood in front of the class mm. presented her own speech got elected for a school council leader oh, and then just casually comes back and says I'm a school council leader <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we began we began talking and realized that a lot of our one-to-one sessions were not only giving her confidence but they were growing her as an individual to think differently um, Mm. to think with a mind of leadership to think with a mind of uh, being in service to others Mm i.e., her class Um, and that slowly began to grow uh, and grow uh, the more she sort of um, went up the year groups Uh, and now in secondary school uh, we're revisiting uh, Mm. the whole concept and we're going through the teenage version of the seven habits which allows us to uh, not only able her to grow in another level but allows her to self-regulate as a teenager so she's able to Mm -hmm. navigate through the teenage years um, and manage those emotions manage those uh, relationships that are happening at school uh, whether they're I'm your friend today and I'm not your friend tomorrow uh, mm-hmm. type discussions that uh, sort of take place. So there's very little 
parent supervision we now need to do with her um, mm -hmm. when she's going through those emotional uh, periods at school uh, through friendship breakdowns and uh, new friendships that are, that are being created. So I think some of the things that come out from those coaching sessions, uh, and like you mentioned earlier, is building the resilience, the robustness. Um, there was a, uh, a book I read uh, by um, a, a Navy SEALs called uh, Attributes mm. uh, uh, by, uh, by a guy called uh, Rich Divney. Uh, and within there uh, are broken down uh, attributes that they've used for the selection process of the Navy SEALs. Uh, and those do include things like um, robustness, resilience, adaptability, team ability, humor, and all sorts of um, mm -hmm. other elements. Uh, and we began to go through those things because we began to discover, and like the book says, schools can teach skills, mm -hmm. but they can't teach attributes. Uh, mm -hmm. And those attributes can only be learned from within. But how does someone learn something from within if someone's not there to coach them through mm -hmm. the learning? So I, I found bringing those out um, of my daughter and now my son going through the same thing uh, has begun to make them a little bit more resilient, uh, has begun to get them to uh, build relationships at school, uh, have those connections where they can identify and create new ideas uh, and they're constantly learning rather than being static. Mm -hmm. And I think starting at such a young age is so important because, you know, by the time, like you said, you're in secondary, you're able to problem solve on your own, right? You're able to be independent and, you know, manage your emotions, manage your relationships, which ultimately will really set you up for being a successful young adult. Um, I think we are, especially in America, you probably see this in England as well. We're so driven towards product, like productivity. And it's not really about like, how are you as a person, right? And like, mm. how are you thriving as a person? Because you thriving will only be a benefit to society, like the workplace, your relationships, community outreach, whatever that may be. And I think that really needs to be a focus in schools as well. And I know we'll kind of talk about that towards our last part. But um, during the pandemic, I feel like this was, and we're still in it, but we're in this time of, we're seeing kind of those holes or seeing the issues that maybe haven't been addressed in schools or with parenting, with raising our children. Do you, have you found in your coaching business, like the pandemic um, showing you any kind of new aha moments or what are your takeaways from this time that maybe have lended itself to the work that you're doing? I think certainly coaching probably wasn't recognized as something that was routinely available for children or a standard practice uh, to work with children and young people and the more I began to work within the industry uh, began to realize actually there's quite a lot of um, children mm. coaches uh, around and doing some absolutely amazing work mm. uh, but what it did um, bring to surface is the lack of confidence uh, that children and young people generated through uh, or uh, created, I guess, through the pandemic period where lockdown was uh, in mm. place, isolation was in place. So these skills around face-to-face -face connection uh, wasn't happening and relationship building wasn't happening. The ability to talk to other human beings face-to-face mm. -face wasn't happening. So when everything went down and uh, schools were coming back and uh, emerging, there was this void. Uh, kids just didn't know how to connect. Yeah. They didn't know how to uh, speak to each other. Some of these children who were just starting school, primary school, had never met each other for the first year and a half, two years. Yeah. Uh, they're in a phase of education where uh, a little bit more advanced from the play part of uh, education and straight into mainstream and they're just getting to learn about the kids around them and the relationship building. Uh, and I think that was probably one of the biggest uh, gaps that COVID created. Yeah. And I'm just thinking like, um, I teach psychology 
And one subfield we talk about is positive psychology. And I think a lot of this kind of connects to this idea of coaching, particularly like young people, because a lot of psychology for a long time was all about almost like, well, at least in the clinical sense, like reactive, right? Like here I'm at this point, I have anxiety, I have depression, and we still have a lot of students that go to counselors or therapists, which, you know, that's definitely needed. And those professionals are there to help children. But here's another look at it, just like with positive psychology is like, how do we take what you already have and dive in deep to your own, you know, attributes and really grow that and make you more robust, make you more resilient so that when those life challenges happen, going through a pandemic or whatever that may be, you have these uh, tools, right? You have these abilities to be able to overcome. So instead of being reactive or looking at like after the fact, it's like, we're setting you up for success. We're setting you up. Doesn't mean that we are human beings. We're not robots. Like it doesn't mean we won't have hard times or be sad, you know? And I, I explain this to my students, like people go through depression. You don't have to be clinically depressed, but people go through that. It's just part of the waves of your life. Um, yeah. And it's just like, but how can you overcome like allowing yourself to go through an emotion, go through a time period, but now have these like these skills and strategies to overcome that. So I really see a lot of this coaching kind of tied to positive psychology in that way. And I mean, we saw it not as dire in my school, but I have friends who teach in all different public schools around the country and just reading it, you know, in the news and, you know, hearing accounts of students coming back in person last year, um, they struggled, like struggled with, you know, socializing, but they also struggled with like how to concentrate and like focus and like kind of manage their, their schedule and manage their workload. Like they were basically, and I teach high school, so I'm kind of coming through the the teenager side. They were basically on their own for a year and a half, you know, like Mm. they were virtual since March, 2020, they were on their own. If their parents were working at home virtual, or maybe still working in person, they were kind of just like doing it all on their own. And not all of them had the the tools to be able to do it successfully. And then when they came back to school, they're kind of like, you can kind of see they're stumbling along trying to figure out like, how do I do this again? Like, how do I work with other people? And I know particularly in some cases, some grade levels, they saw a little bit more of a behavior issue um, in schools because I just don't think students were ready for it. So I could see like, especially going through a time period like the pandemic. And I would not want to see that happen again, but we're going to go through other crises, right? In our future that a student coach like yourself, you know, while parents are working and busy could really help that child kind of, again, thrive and get through a really difficult time period and not just necessarily, you know, you can't put it all on the school to do it. And parents are busy working. There's kind of this other person in their life, right? There's this mentor that has their back. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and I mean, uh, all the great stuff I talk about my daughter, we still get the downs as well. Uh, so I do need to put it <laughs> on record that we all have challenging moments. Um, but we we tend to find, I guess, and I've spoken to quite a lot of parents where they have that struggle of whilst they're trying to have that parent leadership style or that coaching style, their children just won't connect with them because they're going, mm. certainly through the teenage years, of going through that transition of um, separating from the parental mm-hmm. bond and then forming relationships outside that parental bond. So they won't necessarily want to connect or share some of the things that are happening. Uh, whereas I found certainly coaching the transition years going from primary school to secondary school, uh, the children are able to say a little bit more to myself and we're able to talk through and process uh, some of the emotions and strategies that are able to take from the transitions that they're doing, the unknowns that are going to be happening at school and just formulate uh, a plan for them to get ready for success in the next sort of chapter of their lives, uh, which they're reluctant to do. And I, mm-hmm. having spoken to the children, have openly said, I wouldn't share this with my mom. I wouldn't share this with my dad uh, at all. And it's around some of the emotions that they feel that they're not confident enough to share, which is a tragedy Mm -hmm. uh, in its own self, where we should try and 
as parents encourage our children to sort of bring emotions to the surface and help them dissect them on a table and say, well, what does this look like and feel like to you? Mm -hmm. Let it pass through you. Don't forget about it. Don't bury it, but just let it pass through you so you can able to process it and manage it in the future. And that's where the resilience uh, comes in. That's where the robustness comes in uh, when you're sort of strengthening these children, especially now, more so having gone through the COVID period. Kind of getting into my last part with the work you're doing and how maybe you could see this being brought to schools, like on, you know, say a whole level, like all schools having some kind of uh, coaching training for teachers or how we can use some of these, um, you know, tools and strategies in school. So what are some of your ideas for that? So one of my other roles, uh, aside from policing, is uh, I'm a chair for school governor, chair of school governors. Uh, so that allows me a very direct link, mm-hmm. certainly with the senior leadership team, but also to get a greater understanding of what's happening uh, at primary school level. Uh, and I get an insight at secondary school level from my work as a child protection officer. So I'm able to um, speak to a, a number of schools within the district or area. Uh, so I'm able to. Uh, take some of my learning, uh, work with the the head head teacher, the headship uh, team, and start playing with a little bit of ideas to uh, firstly start at the top level. So if we can get the confidence uh, and the, uh, uh, I would say, yeah, the confidence of the senior leadership team, that mm-hmm. coaching is a skill mm-hmm. um, and uh, you can freely use it amongst each other uh, to grow as individuals as a senior leadership team and then begin to weave that down into the teaching team so as senior leaders they're coaching their uh, teaching staff to grow as individuals uh, not only does that provide a benefit uh, to the individual teachers but it also strategically provides succession planning mm-hmm, to leaders ready to take on roles should someone retire or leave mm-hmm. so then the next stage uh, is something that we're really looking at exploring uh, through uh, this term coming and onwards where we're looking at trying to get the skills of the teachers to be able to have a coaching style mindset mm-hmm. so rather than teaching the staff with a one-size-fits-all they're coaching with a bespoke style of learning the individual nuances of a child and pretty much sort of uh, tapping into the the hormones that um, give the happiness uh, mm-hmm. in children. So uh, giving a bit of a dopamine hit or an oxytocin hit, serotonin hit or an endorphin hit, depending on what sort of activities are taking place. And suddenly sparking life into a child where they're getting addicted to learning or mm-hmm. you know, they, they're building these relationships in classrooms that are giving that oxytocin mm-hmm. hit. And, and the, the happier the children are in the school, the more productive they come because the distractions aren't of boredom and tiredness. Um, and you begin to start seeing the results uh, academically uh, sort of go up with them as well. Yeah, I think this is a really um, innovative way of looking at schooling and just teaching in general, because I think the major problem we see, and this is why we have a lot of teachers leaving the profession, at least in America, is that there's too much on everyone's plate. (laughs) And that was even more so during the pandemic and nobody's taking anything off and nobody's giving any space for these teachers to do that kind of work. So like first structurally, there needs to be less on teacher's plate and more, like you said, that individual attention of like, how do I coach a teacher and really see your strong attributes and have that continue to, to, you know, grow and then give that to then the children when you have now time and space to really work with them. So I just think that there needs to be more of a structure first of like having the, the teachers really just focus on their students, right? Like not all these duties or not having a class of like 35 students, like many public schools here have classes that are over 30. And then you have like five classes. So you have like 150 students on your roster. How can you actually do that kind of that individual work? And then if you don't have an advisory program, so I said this on my last episode that we need to have more time with our kids one-on-one 
if we want to see how we tackle some of these issues with like mental health, with students falling through the cracks, not saying this is all about how this is tied to our gun shootings in schools, but there's an aspect of people falling through the cracks, no one having their eye on them or seeing them and caring about them. And then they're just like out there on like the web or the dark web. And then in our country, you could just go get a gun almost anywhere in some places, Mm. you know, like it's the gun safety laws, but it's also a culture. Like there's, there's this whole factory system of like, just pump all these kids through school, teach all these subjects, you know, and the parents are overworked or they're busy. Like these kids are just falling through the cracks. Yeah. And I think, I think we get, uh, something similar and when uh, you know it's probably similar to like inner state schools where they're busy uh, there's not enough time uh, I think it's the same within uh, us so like a London uh, urban school compared to a rural uh, county uh, mm-hmm. school uh, you'll see different dynamics um, we've recruited a teacher um, at our school that worked in an urban London school and now coming to a rural school and it'll be interesting to see Mm-hmm. how her journey and her perspective of the two different schools are when she begins this year. Um, but the cracks are, are certainly the, the biggest things and how we, we identify them. One of the things that um, our school uh, has begun to bring in is around the journey of a child uh, mm-hmm. throughout the whole schooling um, period. So from reception to year six in the primary uh, stages, uh, you begin they begin to have a record that's kept mm-hmm. uh, so for every subject. So this mm-hmm. never used to happen, and it's just a, a recent introduction with our school. So every subject, they will be uh, reported on by the teacher throughout the year. Uh, and this is what we found quite useful during the COVID period, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, the teachers were inputting their information and their assessments on the children throughout the COVID period. And that was capturing data, uh, data that was allowing all the subject leads throughout the year to understand what the student or the pupil was going through and what they were learning, mm-hmm. what their learning, learning gaps were, more importantly, uh, not only in the core subjects, uh, but in the secondary and tertiary subjects, music, drama, art, mm-hmm. uh, etc., uh, all fundamentally important or equally as important as um, as the core subjects. But when it came to lockdown uh, coming down and kids transitioning back into the school period, uh, our senior leadership team and the teaching staff were able to be very proactive uh, and Mm. analyze the data Mm -hmm. to be able to identify what the general overall school deficiency was and the gaps were in all of the subjects, break it down into year groups. So they were able to then identify what needs needed to be done per Mm. year and then even better they were able to identify per child Mm. Um, so being able to identify per child through the year group they were able to then set up programs before school even started to be able to go right we're parachuting into this group Mm. which is an additional source of teachers that will allow them to come back up to the start line so that they can then uh, start um, the race equally amongst all the others rather than start at school Mm. and they're 200 yards uh, behind the sort of start line and they're going to struggle to finish uh, at the same time so we this database uh, and data uh, was very much used to a good purpose rather than beating teachers on the Mm. uh, with a stick and saying (laughs) your your kids aren't performing you need to be doing this this yeah So yeah, the data, data certainly helps. I really like this approach. That's really amazing. I I would love to see that in our schools because I think often we think of data, we think of test scores or just like the grade, but I think there needs to be more collection of actual narrative data too. Like these teachers are spending time with these students. We do pretty extensive um, comments with the grade, even in the upper school but just for like the first half of the year, and we're trying to see how we want to continue to do that through the whole year, it is very time consuming. So again, going back to give the teachers time, they get need space to do this work, but that narrative data and looking at not just an A or a B or an F, right? Or um, just looking at a test score, right? Standardized test. Um, 
carries through and you can analyze it and do so much more with it. Then you can see patterns in the whole grade and then with each child. And then you can actually then formulate like a, a program or a strategy initiative to really help those students, you know, up and mm. succeed. So I think there does need to be more tracking in that way and not just looking at data as the way we always thought about it with just scores, you know, um, but data as far as what do we see Absolutely. Yeah. I think I think from the quantitative aspect, you'll be able to see performance scores and uh, mm-hmm. you can grade yourself against other schools, especially yeah. if it's at a, a national level. But the qualitative stuff mm-hmm. is way, way more powerful when it comes to trans- transitioning from year group to year group where teachers have an insight. We encourage our teachers um, to talk to each other in different year groups. So mm-hmm. the reception year will talk to mm-hmm. the nursery year as well as year one. What are what are the groups coming up to you not being able to be at a level at so I can make sure I'm concentrating at mm-hmm. it? Uh, and then speaking to the year group below and saying, we need this from you so that when they come to our year group, they're ready to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And that goes through the whole, whole tier system from reception all the way to year six. So there's always an interaction mm-hmm. uh, between each of the teachers and their professional discussions. So we're able to create that circle of trust so that they can lean into that vulnerability of this is what's happening in your class or this is the style of teaching. You need to mm-hmm. be able to bring this. I will make sure I can spend some time with you so that we can work together to develop some strategies so mm-hmm. that we can overcome some of the challenges. And I think that's where um we're sort of really seeing some changes mm-hmm. um the, the other element is giving the teachers uh the autonomy to come and speak to us as governors mm-hmm. uh, of the school uh where uh, just before the summer period had finished we'd done a, a speed dating type event mm-hmm. so all the subject leaders um within the uh school were able to display their subject what they do uh, and what they're planning on doing. Uh, and they were giving a briefing to each of the uh, school governors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we would ask them questions uh, and they would ask back and we would almost have a little coaching style conversation. So if we would say things like, if uh, no money uh, was a barrier and uh, what would you what would you like to do? What would you like to see in your subject? Uh, and they would start mm. beginning to come out with all of these ideas, uh, which would all get recorded, but allow us as a governing body to then start looking at it from a strategic perspective and go, there's some brilliant ideas. Some mm. of these are cost neutral. We can make this happen without spending any money at all. Uh, and some of this uh, may require a little bit of funding. And we're able to see from mm. our position how we can redistribute the funding so that the ultimate aim is to find the best way mm. to educate and nurture children so that it can be the best that it can be and I think beyond that and just asking the teachers we 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 in our school go that one step further mm. uh, so we ask the kids so mm. what I mentioned earlier my daughter was a, a school council leader well that's replicated in every year group and every classroom mm-hmm. Uh, and there's two representatives that get together on behalf of their classes uh, and formulate ideas, what they want to see the school look like, what they want Mm -hmm. the school to feel like, what activities um, and equipment do they need? Uh, And they pool all of that together uh, and with the support of some of the teachers, uh, make that into a a presentation Mm. that will get presented to the school board of governors by the students Mm-hmm. So they will come in and present, these are the things we want. So we we see lived experience and lived stories mm-hmm. from these children around the passion. If we had this, we could do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a group, uh, I don't think there's been any that we've declined, but we've been able to materialise their thoughts and ideas into reality. Wow. And that really changes the dynamics mm-hmm. of how belonged a child feels mm. at school and when they feel belonged they're going to mm. produce more and they're going to get involved more uh, because yeah. they're being listened to yeah so absolutely. that only sort of uh, improves the enthusiasm of the teacher that's in the classroom so they want to get engaged so they then get excited and yeah. then our 360 um, uh, speed dating style conversation that we have with each of the subject leads 
follows the same sort of uh, pattern. And then the mm-hmm. same thing goes with the senior leadership team. So we're always looking at ways of being innovative, trying mm-hmm. different things, uh, looking at the uh, children's ideas. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Richard Branson said some of the best ideas he came up with was when he thought like a child, yeah. and when he thought like a kid. Uh, and yeah. it's so true, yeah. you know, you, you take away all of the environmental barriers Uh, I remember when I was a kid and if I wanted to do something, if I was bored, I'd go out into the garden or go into the alleyway and I'd be able to build something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. it would give me hours and hours of enjoyment. Yeah. Fail to tap into that creativity. Yeah. Um, That sounds like a really beautiful school culture. So I'm so happy you're sharing these ideas because I think our listeners and just myself, we could take away and see like how we can maybe you know, have some of these strategies in our schools. The student voice is really important. I mean, we have a generation that, you know, maybe not everywhere, but they feel that uh, their voices aren't heard or that um, they're not empowered and they get very like disengaged in school. And they, if they can have this program where they can come up with ideas, go to their representatives in their class and then actually present to the board you know, not just like present to a teacher or maybe present to like a director or principal, but like, you know, all the way up that is making the decisions for the whole entire school. That is so empowering. And then it, they have more buy-in because then they're part, they're fully part of this community. I like the, um, the word you mentioned about like belonging. So like in America, like DEI is like the, the big initiative and workplaces and schools for like diversity, equity, inclusion, but now the, the next piece is belonging. So we have, in our uh, director role, and we have a committee, it's DEIB. So the idea is we need to take it a step further because yes, you can have diversity, you're promoting that equity, you know, how is everyone getting what they need? Inclusion, how do we include, you know, people in all different groups? And we have great initiatives around that, but then the B for belonging is like, does the child feel like they're really part of this system and when they can use their voice and share their ideas and then there's actually there's programs that come out of that they're like wow that really worked and how amazing for them to then be young adults and have that kind of initiative right yeah and I think it comes uh, just basically from the formula like diversity is the numbers that sort of sit at the table Uh, and um, the inclusion part is uh, allowing those numbers to have a voice mm-hmm. uh, and the belonging part is for that voice to be heard mm-hmm. um, and that's what separates the whole DEI mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. element of it it's that voice being heard mm-hmm. uh, and being very transparent like there will be mm-hmm. things that they will propose uh, that the board will, will say we, we are unable to do this yeah. because and we would give them a reason uh, we are able to do this uh, and here it is this is what it's going to look like yeah. Uh, yeah and I think that allows uh, a, not a revolutionized way of um, mm-hmm. sort of building the school together but it's an evolution mm-hmm. because everyone's part of the process and mm-hmm. it's growing organically mm-hmm. so when change happens they're part of the change uh, and when you're part yeah. of the change you're not putting something on there they're growing it they're growing together with the change so it's oh, not as stressful that. Yeah, I love that. You're all part of this change. You're all part of seeing a system grow together. And I just think that could transform the way that we have schooling. Um, And then you have respect for the teachers, respect for the students, and you're working as a team. Everyone feels like super excited to be part of that team, right? Instead of like, yeah, students just feeling like oh, I'm going to school because I have to or you know like it's the law that tells me I have to be here my parents tell me I have to be here but they actually come thinking I can actually bring up an idea and it might go somewhere right and I might transform this whole you know place and be part of that and then they go on to be young adults and come back and they could say oh, I'm still part of that that change mm. that happened there you know well, there's a legacy Absolutely. It's, it's funny you say that and you use the word respect uh, and that forms part of our school's core value. So mm-hmm. the school, uh, the school kids, the teachers, the senior leadership team and the governors all have to read this and all have to be embodied by it. Mm-hmm. And respect is the centre part of what we call the six R's. 
uh, and around uh, respect of six separate R's that the whole of the school and the community work by. Uh, and the first one is uh, being reflective. Mm. Uh, so all the decisions you make, uh, mm -hmm. you're being reflective around uh, whether you've done something good and how, why was it so good? Uh, mm -hmm. If you didn't do something uh, so good, what could you do better next time? Um, resourceful, uh, mm -hmm. so like uh, mimicking nature, uh, we mm -hmm. sort of try and present it in uh, wasps, bees, uh, being quite ants, being quite resourceful around uh, doing mm -hmm. their work. Um, relationships mm -hmm. is, the th uh, is the third one. Um, building relationships uh, with each other, with the, with the teaching staff, uh, and with the senior leadership team um, being responsible about their actions mm -hmm. uh, was the fourth one uh, risk taking uh, mm. there's been an element which I've seen uh, a number of schools stepping away from risk taking yeah. um, our head teacher has just lent straight into it so those snowball fights that other schools are uh, reluctant to have, certainly in England, uh, or those trips away where they think that it might be uh, a little bit risky, mm. we allow that to take place uh, mm -hmm. uh, to give them a, a, an element of risk taking because it's through risk taking where they learn about failures and how to yeah. utilise those failures and embrace them and lean into them. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you have five failures before an excess success. Mm -hmm. It often is the case. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you'll have those failures. So understanding that failure isn't a negative thing. Right. It's a positive thing. Uh, it's a step to getting to your success. Uh, and that all sort of comes with the resilient aspect of it. So mm -hmm. the, the sort of six R is the resilient aspect. Mm -hmm. So all of those six R's wrap around the respect mm. Uh, making sure that the kids uh, and the school staff um, are working within the sort of boundaries of rules and regulations and stuff like that, but they've still got the autonomy to take a little bit of risk, to do a, a little bit of relationship building, uh, to have that mm -hmm. resilience and things go down. I mean, resilience was a big thing post-COVID, mm -hmm. teaching staff uh, just to get out of what we were in uh, yeah. and then move forward with what we had. So we found our values uh, mm -hmm. certainly held the school together. And because we all live yeah. by those values, right from the school governing team all the way down to the pupil, um, I think it helps. Um, and I think where I saw it come to real great uh, power was we had a teacher of 10 years um, coming to moving on and going to another school closer to her family um, elsewhere. And it was on the sports day where whole school went swarming when they found out uh, around this teacher wow. uh, to be able to just show the connectivity the yes. power that uh, the teachers have had on this on the school and we had previous kids um, who were helping out who had come to the school um, go around and rap and we get them come back we get wow. them come back we have secondary schools um, inform our head teacher that they know they've got a student from our primary school because of the behaviors and the attributes they present at their secondary school. Wow, this is great. I just wrote down those six R's because I love it. And the idea <laughs> of it centered around respect. Uh, the risk-taking one, I think, is really key. Um, and this idea of, and we try to teach this with our students too, that failure is kind of part of the process, right? And it's actually like you, you want to fail because you want to keep trying and, and that builds your resilience too. Because when you get to that success, when you get to that moment, like it just feels like you work so hard for it, but like it also helps you with just problem solving and it helps you with just trying things out. Like going back to that kid mindset of like, well, I'm going to just try this out. I'm going to be imaginative. Mm. I'm going to experiment. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think just having that mind shift of that failure is a good thing, right? And it's part of it. And you have to go through may maybe many failures until you get to that successful moment. But I think we're at a time now coming out of at least like the COVID protocol, where maybe some of that risk taking can come back to the school. Like, what do we want to try out? What do we want to experiment with? I know that's something that I want to be doing more in my classroom. And like, what are those initiatives that kind of got put on the back burner over the last two mm. years? Like, let's bring those back and see, you know, how we want to really kind of shape the school moving forward. So I'm, I'm really excited about this school year because I think we can get to this like new place of maybe risk-taking, trying new initiatives out and, and not feeling like 
we're just weighed down by protocol. We're like, mm. we're just trying to survive. We're just trying to do the best we can. I think now we're in on the other side of it a, a, li- a little bit, not fully out, but we're getting there. So yeah. uh, and I think one of the things that we found, uh, certainly with risk taking uh, and that relationship element, um, we mustn't forget the special educational needs uh, yeah. pupils that are uh, integrated within the school and what yeah. What we're encouraging children to do is use the relationship R and the risk-taking R to ask those questions around mm-hmm. someone who's going for a neurodiversity um, mm-hmm. you know, journey through school uh, and learn. And we you know we have we have kids from various different from autism, Asperger's, mm-hmm. um, dyslexia, dyspraxia, all within the same sort of schooling community, mm-hmm. but they're encouraged to integrate and learn from mm-hmm. each other. Um, uh, not only does that end up breaking down barriers, uh, it allows uh, certainly the pupils uh, to support other pupils. Mm-hmm. That encourages a, a hit of uh, serotonin. They feel yeah. important. They feel yeah. significant. Uh, and it's really just helping teachers sort of tap into those mm. happy hormones yeah. uh, and being able to use a, a style of questioning uh, that is attributed to that individual child. Mm. So using metaphors with a kid that loves computer games Mm. to be able to direct them to do something is far more powerful than a bland sentence to say, can you go and do this? That's true. Yeah. Um, And the integration is important um, with special education. I know growing up that it was always very separate and then students feel like they're, you know, if they have a learning plan, like they're other, but integrating all of these, you know, children together and learning about their differences, you know, like everyone learns in different ways. Mm. Um, and also what are the strengths, you know, not just like, cause I think often too, students will feel like they're kind of put into a box or have a label. Like if they have ADHD or if they have dyslexia or, you know, Asperger's or whatever that may be. And they always see it as a hindrance, but there's also really a lot of great, like, um, positive attributes that come out of those those different you know yeah, we refer to it yeah. as uh, gifts uh, i had a yeah, parent yeah. who posted a, a a parent of a special needs uh child uh, and i wrote a little paragraph on their thing saying i said parent of a, a gifted child mm-hmm. uh, whose potential hasn't been realized by society oh right that's so beautiful um, yeah and it's around changing language uh, and a lot yeah. of it is around uh helping people understand if you continue to use the language which mm. degrades the gift then everyone's going to just be using that whereas if you enhance it as a gift and they have got unique mm-hmm. talents um, mm-hmm. that all form when you know part of a team uh, and if you're a leader and you're looking for talents that person with dyscalculus or dyspraxia or mm-hmm. uh, dyslexia has a talent that's heightened mm-hmm, mm-hmm within their potential because they're just wide different and I think physical education was one of the biggest things we uh, increased uh, there was a lack in the early part of the journey when the head teacher took on it and it was something she wanted to uh, ensure and as a governing body we supported her to try and improve the facilities to the extent where I think there was an 80 percent increase in our special education needs children taking mm-hmm. part in competitive sporting events mm-hmm. So we would go to events uh, and there will be schools that will bring their elite players. Mm -hmm. We will bring our elite players, but we will bring in a second team and a third team of uh, not so great players, Mm -hmm. giving them exposure to a competitive sport Mm -hmm. like they would never have had the opportunity to Mm -hmm. do. Um, And it's through those exercises, Mm -hmm. through education, physical education that we began to then see individuals exhibiting certain types of talents and then the teachers were then able to hone into that to then bring into the classroom so they they knew when a child was tired Mm -hmm. they were able to then go and give them an exercise that they were very good at so Mm -hmm. they were able to practice and become better at that physical sport but then able to come back in because if they didn't have an option to move Mm -hmm they would have probably lost it within the environment. Um, so the the very concept, I think I heard it somewhere coined, move it or lose it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and it, it absolutely works. Um, yeah. The moment you start moving, 
uh, the moment you sort of sort of start dissipating that tension and that anxiety mm. that probably will result in a tantrum moment taking place in the mm-hmm. classroom mm-hmm. Uh, and it's those things that I think through hopefully the coaching style leadership that we're going to sort of bring into the school they're able to start mm. exploiting and tapping into yeah wow that's a great great idea I think movement is very important and we've been on screens for two years so this is this is the time to get outside get moving I like the idea of giving these children chances to play in these different kinds of sports and often like sports extracurricular you know even if you're not like the top athlete or you know top person in the musical it's something that you like feel energized in and then often those students do like better in school and they have more confidence absolutely well music exactly music is probably there's a lot of research that connects music to academic progress Mm -hmm. Uh, and um, that was one of the things that uh, the governing body and the head teacher really focused on uh, where our school in the summer periods uh, would host a leech fest uh, which would be a music festival. Mm. Uh, the music festival would include parents, teachers and pupils singing, playing musical instruments. But what that would do was bring the community together to fundraise the money to build a music room oh, and then house great. the music room uh, with all the uh, different uh, musical instruments and then mm. use the money to then buy in a teacher because we can't get the funding mm-hmm. um, from the state um, to pay for the teacher. So it would buy in a teacher to then resource a, a qualified person to teach music wow. to everyone. So not just the talented people, but to everyone. So they've got an opportunity to play a musical instrument throughout their schooling year. I love it. Well, I just love all these ideas. I love what you're doing, Vinny. Um, where could our listeners find you? Any information? I'll put it in the show notes as well that you'd like to share. Uh, so from my coaching perspective, uh, they can find me on the, the internet. Uh, it's Cardia Coaching and Mentoring Limited. And uh, I can share the website with you so that we can uh, give it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm always um, listening out uh, and putting uh, posts out to help parents to help other leaders um, gain a better insight into uh, exploring how best we can improve the education of our children and just help them grow and realize their dreams. Thank you so much. And I will have that information in the show notes. I really enjoy this conversation. I think what you're doing at your school is phenomenal. I think we could definitely see that um, in all schools. I don't think it's that difficult to make these changes and it really will help the whole ecosystem, you know, and every member of that system to feel important and to feel like they have a voice. So thank you for being on the teacher story today. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Have a good day.